Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining us online. Wherever you are, welcome to Fellowship of the Rockies. So we've been in this series uh, in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 7 and chapter 8. We've just been walking verse by verse. The title of this series is Jesus for Everyone. And the title of today's message is simply this, A Friend of the Hardened Heart. I want to talk to you about this issue of the, just the, the priority of the heart. Jesus talked a lot about the heart. He talked about the priority of the heart. He talked about the importance of, of having a soft heart. And so I want to talk to you about this message of just a friend of the hardened heart. And so Jesus is a friend of the hardened hearted. And, and I, I believe in some respects that our country is dealing with a hard heart. I, I think we are dealing with this issue of a hard heart. This last weekend, unfortunately, I, I recall recorded my message on Wednesday, and then between Wednesday and, and the airing of my message last weekend, uh, there was the killing of, of George Floyd, and, and I was horrified. I was horrified on a lot of levels, and one of the levels was this, is that my message was already recorded, and, and I couldn't respond to it. And so this weekend, I'm going to take this text, and I'm going to apply it uh, to what is going on in our country. I've done that with COVID. I've done that with other things, and, and I think it's appropriate to do this as well. And, and so when you look at this issue of race and racism and what's going on in our country, there's a lot of pastors that aren't talking about this. I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is because many, many just do not know what to say. And I think there's another group, probably a larger group, everybody's just worried about like saying the wrong thing. And you know what? That's why we need grace in this area, and we just need to understand that we're all learning, and this is a complicated issue, and it's a difficult issue to deal with. And so Jesus talked about the, the issues of the heart all the way through Scripture, especially in the book of Luke. And, and whenever Jesus was talking about this issue of the heart, he used a fascinating Greek word. It was this word that a lot of times was used for a process of hardening, uh, like, like a, a liquid turning to a solid, maybe in our context, water turning to ice. And Jesus would use this issue of the hardening of the heart. He would use a Greek word that said, it indicated that it's gonna, it hardens over time. It, it's a process. It's not always just one event, but it kind of hardens o- over time. And so we know this, right? Uh, we can start off in life as children, and a child's heart is like soft and moldable and, and fun and a place of recreation. And, but, but over time, the heart can grow hard and cold and barren and judgmental and, and even difficult. And Jesus would say that the issue is the heart. And so Mark chapter 12, verse 28, here's what the Scripture says. It says, one of the scribes came up, heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he had answered them well, asked them which commandment is the most important of all. And so Jesus answered, and he said, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love your God with all your heart. It's interesting. He started off with a heart. That's an important, there's an important reason for that. And you should love the Lord your God <coughs> your, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so the question is, why did Jesus start off with the heart? Why did he say first that you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart? The reason is this, is the heart is central to everything. Physically, it's central to, to, to your body. It's what makes your body work, and, and your heart is, is also, you know, who you are. 
And God is, listen, God is more concerned with your heart condition than he is your body condition. Your heart, what scripture says, what Jesus said over and over, it's like that gauge that hangs on the side of a water tank. And that by looking at that gauge, you know how much water is in the tank. He would say your heart is a gauge to you. The Bible tells you your heart reflects a lot about you. It reflects your desires, your intentions, your faith, our will, our behavior, our words, our motives. I mean, we know this, right? Life experience, <coughs> excuse me, life experiences, if you're not careful, you can develop a hard heart. You can develop a hardened heart if you're not disciplined. Now, listen, when the coronavirus hit and, and I knew what was ahead of me as a pastor, I immediately, you know what, in March, I immediately quit golf. I, I canceled some of the memberships that I had, and, and I realized that, you know what, I don't know when I'm going to be able to play golf ever again. And, and so, um, so I was in a routine of... Of, of working a lot and spending some time with, with our family. And, and last week, Mike Coatney, who goes to our church, invited me to play golf. And, and Jared Diaz, who also goes to our church, joined us. Now, listen, it had been a long time since I'd played golf, and I had a lot of snacks in my golf bag because I need a lot of snacks on the golf course because we walk. And, and so I'd laid my golf bag down and, <clears throat> and went and hit some balls and kind of warming up. And, and so my golf bag was like unattended for like 15 minutes. And I just need to let you know, I was attacked by a squirrel. I mean, it's a crazy story, but all of a sudden when we walk back up to my golf bag, there is a squirrel hanging on the side of my bag. And this squirrel is ripping a hole in the side of my bag. He's, it's breaking and entering. He's, try, he's trying to get into my golf bag. He's trying to get my snacks. And so I run over there and I, I, I have a cart and I push my cart and I shook the, the golf. The, 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 the squirrel off. The squirrel runs away. I turn to Jared and Mike and say, are you believing this? The squirrel was relentless, jumps back on the bag, and it starts again. So I run over there, and I take my, my golf cart, and I shove it, and I'm screaming and yelling to the squirrel. I chase the squirrel away, turn around to, to Mike and Jared again, and says, are you believing this? Look at this. Again, the squirrel jumps back on the bag. This time, I was angry. I grabbed a five iron out of the bag. It did not intimidate the squirrel because the squirrel knew that obviously I was, I was inconsistent with a five iron. So the squirrel wasn't even intimidated. And I chased this squirrel off of the bag, chased it up a tree, and, and then we, we went on and, and played. But I, I got to tell you, man, I was angry. I was angry. It took, like, it took like five holes for me just to process this out of this squirrel that destroyed a, a golf bag or ate a hole in the side of the golf bag. Now, now listen, can, can you imagine, can you imagine if, if I had a developed a hardened heart towards all squirrels because of the action of the one? And I'd gone home and told my wife and told my kids and, and told my grandkids about how I was wrongly treated by the squirrel and how this squirrel uh, broke into my bag and my hatred for squirrels. And because of my hatred for squirrels, they should have a hatred for squirrels. And, and then all of a sudden, they hate squirrels, and they don't even know why. They just know, you know what, we're from a family of squirrel haters because my grandfather hated squirrels, and we hate squirrels. Now, you would say, listen, that's, that's pretty dumb. That's not even wise. Hating squirrels, stereotyping squirrels because of the action of one? Exactly. Then why do we do it with people? Why do we do it with organizations? Why do we do it with groups? And Jesus is talking about this issue of the heart. He's talking about this issue, three different types of heart that he identifies that, that, are, that are just dangerous. Two are dangerous. One is the receptive heart is like the good soil. And here's what he said in Luke chapter 8, verse 4. He says, 
And when, when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, and he said in a parable, so he tells the story of this, this issue of the three types of soil or a heart. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some, some fell along the path that was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air de- devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and with it and choked it. And some fell into the good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things, and he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. Now, Jesus describes three types of soil or three types of hearts, and we need to understand this to help us in the days in which we live. The first type of heart that Jesus describes, he describes the hard heart. He describes a hardened heart. Listen, there was a time, and listen, I get it about salvation, and we'll talk about that, but but there was a time that I believe these are kind of linear. Now, when you start seeing this, and, and I've lived enough life, and looked at enough scripture that if we're not careful, we can drift in and even as believers, we can drift in and out of all of these areas. That's why we need to guard our heart. That's why scripture says you guard your heart. You protect your heart. And so Jesus describes the first one as a hard heart and he says some hearts need cultivating, some hearts need softening. Uh, Verses 11 and 12, it says, Jesus begins to explain the parable. And he said, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those along the path are those who have heard, and the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. So the question is, and Jesus' answer is it, what causes a hard heart? How come a heart is hardened over time through experience? And I think there's several reasons. One is just the world in which we live. The images and the carnage and the senseless killings and the hurt and the frustration and the escalating conflict and animosity between races and, and authorities and the anger, the rage, the unforgiveness. The, I mean, we've seen in the last couple of weeks, we've seen the best and we've seen the absolute worst. Listen, I never experienced racism and, until I was with a really good friend. And uh, I was young. It was in the, in the late 80s. And and Gary was a friend of mine. He was an engineer at a company where I was, and we worked together. And Gary, Gary was black, and, and we, were, we were good friends. We didn't just work together. We were good friends. And so we were starting our careers out together, and Gary and I were known as the two guys that we would, like, take any assignment that was offered to us. We just wanted to we wanted experience, and we wanted to move up in the company pretty quickly. And, and so we, we, we loved to work together. And so we took an assignment down in Plaquemine, Louisiana, which is known as, like, the Dirty South. And so nobody else really wanted a job. Plaquemine's like uh, a place that nobody really desired to go. There wasn't even a hotel in the area. A hotel was like an hour away and, and some of those other things. So Gary and I, we took the job and we had headed down into Plaquemine and uh, we left the hotel really, really early, got to the job site, did the various meetings that we needed to do. And, and then it got to be lunchtime and Gary and I we loved the same types of food. I mean, we loved the, like the greasy spoons. We loved the family diners. We loved that whole deal. And so really that's all they had in Plaquemine. And so, so Gary and I, we headed into, into town and we went into this, this family diner and we walked in together and, and we, just, you know, we just started walking to like, like a table. And all of a sudden a waitress looked shocked and, and everybody kind of stopped what they were doing. They looked at us and, and so she walked up to me and she says, well, where are you going? I says, well, we're here to eat. And then she looked at Gary, and she says, is, is he with you? I'm like, yeah, he's, his name's Gary. And I was trying to lighten the, the, just the, the tension in the room, and I said, yeah, he's Gary. He's buying. 
And she says, oh, are you going to sit with him? I go, yeah. And she goes, well, you guys are going to need to sit over there. And we, we looked to the back of the restaurant, and I, I saw a sign that I'd only read about. It said, black, sit here. It was, it was a bar that was like pushed up against the wall. On the other side was the, the kitchen. And there were a bunch of dirty dishes and junk all over that bar. And she said, well, you, you boys are going to have to sit there. And so I, again, thought I would lighten the tension and make some humor. And I said, no, I don't think you understand. We need a table with a view. The cook had stopped what he was doing, and he was, like, coming out at this time. And she says, no. She said, uh, if he's with you and you're going to eat with him, you can't eat here. We got back in the car, and it was a 45-minute drive to the nearest restaurant, but at least they weren't going to get our money. I was driving. I was angry. Gary was crying. As a white person, I thought I understood what he would feel. I thought I got it. He looked over at him and says, I know, Gary, you're probably angry too. He said, I'm not angry at all. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. Even though I have a master's degree in engineering, I feel inferior. And they just started talking. You don't know what I've gone through. So we were the first black family to move into a white neighborhood. He said, I don't know if the men of the neighborhood were doing it intentionally or as an honest mistake. I don't know. I don't get it. But there have been several times that I've been out in my front yard in my neighborhood mowing my grass, and a guy would pull up in a Cadillac and get out and say, hey, how much do you charge for mowing yards because I'd like for you to come mow my lawn? I thought I understood, but I didn't. Paul writes about this in Galatians. Galatians 3.27, he writes and he says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. In other words, what Paul begins, we'll read verse 28. He says, Christ, the gospel, the power of the gospel, breaks racial, social, and gender barriers. Verse 28, he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are what? You are one. You are one in Christ. So let's just be clear so we all understand. He is not saying those distinctions are gone. I mean, there's some people, and I think they're well-meaning, say, you know what, I don't see color. That's absurd. absurd. That's not even biblical. I mean, when you look at this, he's not saying there's no longer distinctions. You know what he's saying? He's saying the gospel is so powerful. Those distinctions are no longer barriers. Those distinctions, in other words, the gospel is more powerful than the distinctions. And because of that, there's like no longer barriers. And we are one in Christ, and aren't you glad? In Christ, we're like on the same level. No one is better than the other. No one is superior than the other. No one is better or worse than the other. See, this, this is the problem that Paul is dealing with in the book of Galatians. This is the deal he's addressing. The Judaizers were coming in, and the Judaizers were saying that the Jews were better than the Gentiles. 
And the Jews are going to sit here in a place of honor. And, oh, and you Gentiles, you can't even come in the building. You're going to have to sit over there. And Paul is like, no, we're one in Christ. Man, we are one in Christ, the ground. The ground is level at the cross. Listen, a hard heart will never allow you to love your neighbor as yourself. See, I know when I'm developing a hard heart, when it is hard for me, when it is work for me to love my neighbor as myself, when I become judgmental or angry, when prayer becomes like this, this job, then a desire, fellowship with other believers, community in the church is like required and not a, not a, not a, not a privilege to where I just want to isolate. When the Bible becomes more like a textbook to me, when the, listen, when the gospel is something that we just don't proclaim but we live out, then there's love and there's forgiveness. There's patience and there's listening. There's, there's peacemaking and there's bridge building. There's prayer and there's act of compassion. There's love your neighbor as yourself. God says, listen, God says that he could take a hard heart, he can take a hardened heart, and he can give you a new heart. He can soften that heart. Listen, a hard heart is so important. A hardened heart will always cause you to go backwards and not forward. This is what it says in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 24. But they, they did not obey or inclined their ear, but walked in their own counsel. And the stubbornness of their evil hearts, hard hearts, and went backward and not forward. I think our nation is suffering a hard heart because it seems like we are going backwards and not forward. That's why Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 7, verse, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 7, he says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not, it's an imperative, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion in the day, on the day of testing in the wilderness. See, for some, the gospel has lost its freshness. They, they've heard the gospel. They've heard it preached so many times that it's just, it's just lost its freshness. It's lost its power. That's why, that's why Jesus was saying some of the seed falls on a path that is made hard by the constant traffic. And some people, listen, have heard the gospel so much and so often it's become so familiar, it no longer has freshness. It no longer has power in their life. And Matthew chapter 13, 15 says, For this people's heart had grown gold dull and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand what with their heart and turn and I would heal them you know what Jesus is a friend to the hard-hearted Jesus is a friend to the hardened of hearts and he wants to soften them with the gospel it's such an interesting story three times in the book of Luke the Pharisees different Pharisees invite Jesus over their house with ulterior motives, to entrap him, to judge him, to trick him, to hurt him. And yet Jesus went to their home hoping that he would be successful, and three times he was, that he'd be able to soften their hearts with the gospel. Man, if you have a hard heart, if you have a hardened heart, I want you to know this. You have a friend, and he cares for you. His name is Jesus, and he cares about your salvation. He cares that you would come into a relationship with him. That's why. That's why he went to some of the places that he did. That's why he had some of the conversations that he did. There's another thing about this issue. See, some people just have a shallow heart. Some people don't really respond to the gospel or stay long at all because, you know what, they were, they were coming to Christ for ulterior motives. He, he says in verse 13, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. 
but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. There's some people that attend church or click online for some ulterior motives. They, they, they really want the blessing. They, they, they're there for some shallow reasons. Either, either it's a feeling that it gives them. They get to see their friends. There's a blessing they think that comes with that. They believe on the surface as long as it's convenient and as long as it works for them. But Jesus said, but they have no root. As soon as they go through a difficult time, as soon as they go through a time of testing, they're going to fall away because they were following me for superficial reasons. They were following me for what I could do for them. Uh, they weren't following me to, to die themselves and to pick up their cross and to follow me, what it means to be a believer and a follower of Christ. So as soon as something happened in their life, they lost a loved one. Test reports came out bad. They went through a, a, a tough stretch in their life. They just they, they, they fell away. Remember John chapter 6? Jesus feeds like the 5,000. Huge miracle. That, ne that next morning, the crowds were even larger than the night before. Why? Because they wanted him to do it again. They're hungry. They want breakfast. They wanted what he could do for them. And Jesus basically said, hey, I'm not the bread Messiah. I'm the spiritual Messiah. I didn't come to fill your stomachs. I came to fill your heart. Scripture says they begin to walk away. Jesus turned to Simon Peter and says, you too? You're going to walk away? And Simon's like, where would I go? Where would I? You're the Messiah. Where would I go? Scripture tells us, John 6, you can check it for yourself. The crowd goes from 5,000 down to 120. But Jesus kept pursuing them. Most theologians, theologians believe in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, when 3,000 came to Christ. Many that came to Christ were those that were there that day. Second thing is this, real quickly, it's just a distracted heart. Some people don't respond to Christ because, you know what, they're just distracted, they're way too busy. Uh, he, he's truly not a priority in their life, verse 14. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. There's some people that have good intentions and they start out with Christ, but the busyness of life, the pleasures, other priorities kind of choke out Christ in their life. They get busy and priorities change and community and church and ministry and following him is no longer a priority in their, in their life. And, but yet the scripture says that Jesus is a, he's a friend of the preoccupied. He, he, he's trying to reach them. He, he continually encourages people just to simply get your priorities straight. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The only way to follow him is consistency. To where he's a priority in your life and, and you understand what it means to give of your first fruits and give of your best and give of your first, your time, talent, and treasure and just follow him. The last heart that he describes in this passage is the healthy heart. It's what I would call the re receptive heart. And, and some people have a receptive heart, and you see it in their life. It, it just produces a harvest. It's a different type of life. And verse 15, here's, here's what the Scripture says. It says, and for that in, in good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hear, believe, obey, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and a good heart and bear fruit with patience. When the seed of the gospel, what Jesus says, falls on a receptive heart, 
falls on good soil, it produces. It produces Christian character. It produces a, a harvest in the lives of men and women and boys and girls who follow him. It enhances their testimony to a deeper relationship with him and deeper character. That's why, that's why Paul said in Galatians 5, and 23, but that the fruit of the Spirit, and he, he describes it as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing, there is no law. If you want to have a receptive heart, if you want to have a soft heart, if you will, if you want to soften your heart, however you want to phrase that, Maybe you've identified, you know what, I, I've developed a hardened heart to everything that's going on and everything that I've seen. Just three things, just three things. First, you have to admit it to God. You have to admit a hard heart. Just come to the place and say, God, I admit it. My heart has hardened to some of the things that I've seen and heard. Deuteronomy chapter 8 tells where, where God led Moses into the desert for 40 years to test him and to try him. And the scripture goes on to say, so Moses would know what was in his heart. When you go through a crisis, there's something about a crisis that exposes what's, what's in our heart. It, disposes sometimes, it, it exposes sometimes the weeds of our heart. It exposes sometimes some attitudes, some actions, some sin that we didn't even know was there. One thing about COVID and what we've walked through, it can expose some things in your heart that you didn't even know that was there. And so you and I have to know the condition of our heart. Listen, if we don't know the condition of our heart, we can't deal with it. The fact is, the book of James tells us that the Bible is like a mirror, and it it reflects back to us what is is in our heart, what are our motives, and what are our desires. I mean, have you ever been reading Scripture, you ever been life journaling, and you read that verse that convicts you? You read that verse, and it's like, oh, no, oh, no. Something's got to change in my heart. Something's got to change in my life. The two dangerous prayers, Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. That right there may be the most dangerous prayer to pray. God, test me. Point out to me anything that is anxious, anything that needs to go in my life. And then Psalm 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit in me. Listen, if you're going to have a soft heart, if you're going to have a receptive heart, then you must continually examine your heart. That's why the reading of Scripture is so important. That's why life journaling is so important, so you know the condition of your heart. The second thing is this, just be consistent. Admit a hard heart when you need to, and then just be consistent with your time with God. Just be consistent. Make him a priority of community and reading of Scripture and worship and all of the things that you need. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, with all of your mind and with all of your strength. Worship, listen, starts with the heart. Your worship, you worship regardless of how you feel. You worship regardless of the circumstances. You worship regardless of the situations that you're walking through. You worship him from the heart. Listen, here's the deal. You worship him from the heart, and your mind and body will fall in line with that. You worship him even though you're stressed, even though you're busy, even though you got other things to do. You worship, but you continue to serve him in ministry. You continue to come into community with other believers. Listen, I've been a Christian for over 30 years, and there's no other way to grow than to simply spend time with him in his word and with other believers. It's just the simple disciplines of the faith. Man, if you, if you, if you determine that you're going to guard your heart 
that your heart is important, then you learn to spend time with him. Because, listen, spiritual growth takes time. That's why we give grace to one another. That's why we bear one another's burdens. Man, when you look at this, you just spend time with him. The third and the last thing is you just begin to cultivate godly relationships. Man, when you look at Scripture, there's 56 what I call one another's in Scripture. If you have a Bible uh, um, in, in digital form, you can use version or whatever. You can search on just one another. There's about 56 of them, depending on the translation that you use, that come up in Scripture, love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, uh, bear with one another, love one another, accept one another, forgive one another. Those 56 commands... Those 56 imperatives of Scripture can only be lived out in the local church, in community, because it's in community where we love to love one another, where we learn to to love one another. We love to pray with one another. We learn to to encourage one another. We love to support one another. We we love to forgive one another. There's there's an interesting Hebrew word uh, for kindness or or, or mercy or, or a covenant of faithfulness, if you will. It's just a real simple word. It's hased. And, and what, what we know is this, whenever hased is present, then Satan cannot sow hatred into your heart. In other words, it's where we get this issue that love never fails, and we just come to this place till we cultivate those godly relationships with, the, with others. We come into community with one another. Listen, we are willing, we are willing to listen to the hurts and the pain of others. Don't tell them how they should act and don't ha- tell them how they should feel if you've never been truly in that situation. To, I mean, it's what I learned with my friend Gary. I mean, I, I thought I knew, but I had no clue. Now, can I just tell you this? When you have a hard heart, you cannot hear another person's heart. You can only judge. You have to learn to be able to empathize with them be able to see things from their perspective to where you come to this place where you shut your mouth and you hear their heart. You let them see, listen, you let them see that that you're concerned. You can just tell them, "I, I may not totally understand, but I just want you to know I'm with you. I just want you to know we're, we're one. We're one in Christ. Maybe that's why some of those powerful images on social media right now are when people begin to listen to one another. The police officer listens to the protester. The protester listens to the police officer. Or the police officer serves the protester water. Or the protester serves the police officer water. Or the police officer just offers a hug to a protester. That's why I'm so proud of Pueblo and the place where I live where our police chief and assistant police chief walked with the protesters and spoke a word of encouragement over them. God bless you. Listen, this is a complicated issue. And I don't claim to have all the answers. But what I do know from Scripture, we need a receptive heart. We need a soft heart. We need to start listening to one another and not talking at each other. The next day, after I played golf with Mike and Jared, uh, Mike and Jared invited me to play golf again. 
we were walking the course again, and we, we went past the place of the scene of the crime where the squirrel had attacked me. And all of a sudden, I heard a man yelling and chasing that squirrel up the tree. The squirrel was at it again. And I felt this anger come up in me again. And we were walking the course, and I yelled to Jared and Mike, and I said, hey, guys, you go on. I'm going to go help this guy with the squirrel. And Jared looked back at me. He's kind of astonished, and he said, Charlie, you need to let it go. You need to let it go. Let's move on. we got a lot of golf to play. And you know what? There's many of you that may need to let it go. Forgive. Say, God, I admit, I don't understand. And I have a hard heart. And I need to learn to listen. I need to learn to empathize. And I need to remember bear the image of Christ the image of God and in him we're brothers and sisters in Christ we are one would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes your heads bowed and eyes closed right where you are I don't know where you are I don't know where you are spiritually I don't know where you are emotionally if you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ that's where it starts He's the only one that can come into your life and give you a new heart, give you a clean heart. And maybe you need to ask him and just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I need you to come into my life. I need you to forgive me my sins, and I need you to give me the gift of eternal life. I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've done a lot of things wrong, and I am asking you right now to forgive me. And then to the very best of my ability, I'm going to walk with you, and I'm going to follow you. Maybe you've realized that you're that you have a hard heart and you're you're a believer. And maybe there's some things right now that you need to confess. Maybe there's some things right now that you need to determine what is my next step. Maybe you need to go have a conversation with someone. Maybe you need to learn to empathize and listen to others. Maybe you just need to pray that simple prayer and say, God just created me a clean heart. Give me back the joy of my salvation. Help me to protect my heart. I don't know what God has for you. I know every one of us has a next step. Whatever your next step is, would you just simply follow him? Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the power of your word. Father, we ask that you would soften our hearts, that you would heal our land, and that we would follow you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.